0: Hear the word of God from Romans 13. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority, Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, church family. I hope everyone is doing well today on a beautiful, beautiful day. Is everyone doing well? Wonderful. We're continuing our series in the Book of Romans, and we have come to an interesting topic, uh, a rather uh, difficult passage of scripture. Honestly, this is one of those passages of scriptures that I would just normally want to skip over and not want to preach on. It's one of those, like, Romans is big, there's a lot of stuff we can't cover, so this would be one of those where I'm like, ooh, didn't get to that one, but... We decided that we had to preach on it. Not happy about it, but we know that's in the scripture for a reason, and I don't want to skip over it. We're talking about government and our role in obeying and living our Christian lives under authority. Let me say that again. We're talking about government and our role in obeying and living our Christian lives under authority. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like this topic has gotten harder and harder lately. Maybe it's just me, but in my mind, but and maybe it's just in my mind, but with this kind of crazy, extreme polarization happening within our two-party system, with arguments over random topics, anything from masks to schools to everything in between, I feel like we live in a weird time when it comes to government and obeying. But then again, imagine that you're a Christian farmer living peacefully in colonial America. Word comes that a bunch of politicians in Philadelphia have declared independence from Great Britain. You are aware of what Paul teaches in Romans 13 about being in submission to the governing authorities. What should you do? Which side do you take? What if General Washington comes up and says, you should join the Revolutionary Army. What do you do? Or you're living in Germany in the 1930s when Hitler came to power. You watch with growing horror as He begins implementing his policies. Some of your neighbors who are good friends of yours are herded off and you don't know where and never see them again. But then you hear about a plot to revolt and join a conspiracy, you're invited to join. What do you do? You're aware of Romans 13, which commands you to be subject to governing authorities, but what should you do? Now, I share those two examples with you, not to answer those questions exactly, or specifically per se, but to show you that throughout history, Christians have wrestled over and over again on how to deal with government and how to deal with this passage. Now, the Bible isn't clear on how to act in, every, in each and every unique situation that has occurred and will occur. And this is intentional. Guys, I want you to understand this. If the Bible was able to tell you exactly how to act in every circumstance, the Bible would be forever big. But it's intentionally vague and ambivalent in certain situations. And it's a reason for that. One, because it wants to be able to reach every culture, every time, and every nation. But it's also intentionally vague because it wants you to rely on the Holy Spirit to interpret the principles of scriptures in your daily life. Do you understand that we've been given the Bible and the Holy Counselor for us to understand how it is to live in this life? So it's intentional. The Bible does not talk about this, but does give us general principles that I want us to see. So let's dive into this passage, specifically 1 through 7, and see what it says here. At first glance, um, 1 through 7 may seem a little out of context. Paul shifts subject with no transition or introduction. We saw last week, if you were had the sermon last week, Romans twelve made this transition from Romans one through eleven which was all about the gospel and, and God's passionate pursuit of people and how the gospel is to all peoples. But then all of a sudden, they made this therefore transition to chapter twelve through sixteen, where it talks about how to live in light of the gospel. So in Romans twelve, we end with this amazing section about how we're to live in community in light of the gospel. We're to love sincerely bless people, show mercy, practice hospitality, and so much more. But then he says, we're not to take vengeance for ourselves. Don't take vengeance for yourself. It's God's. From here, Paul goes into Romans 13 about the government. And this could lead people to be like, huh? How do you go from loving in community to all of a sudden talk about, but obey and submit to your government? Some scholars think that Paul is anticipating the question about whether or not one can turn to the law or authorities if they had been wronged. He says, don't perceive vengeance for yourself. But then, in other words, if I was robbed, can I call the cops or to help, or should I just forget about it? These scholars believe that Paul is helping show that when the government is taking action, it is God taking action. It's an interesting thought considering it comes right after this taking vengeance for yourself and letting God take care of it. But that's also not the main point and gist of this section. One thing we need to be aware of is, who is Paul writing his letter to? Paul is writing to the Christians, some of whom were Jews, in the capital of the Roman Empire. Claudius, the previous emperor, had expelled the Jews from Rome a few years earlier because he viewed them as dangerous. This happened in Acts chapter 18. The Jews hated being under the Roman rule, and the Romans often viewed Christians as a Jewish sect, so that suspicion of revolution was always a concern in the mind of the ruler. Also, some Christians could have actually taken Jesus' teaching about the coming kingdom of God to mean that they should work to overthrow the secular, morally corrupt government in order to bring about Christ's kingdom. In fact, when Paul wrote Romans, Nero, one of the most evil rulers of all time, was currently on the throne. So Paul wanted the Roman Christians to be clear on how they should relate to civil government. In Paul's days, there was no Christian consensus a Christian-based constitutional law. There wasn't a Jewish theocracy as in the Old Testament. But these principles, inspired by the Holy Spirit, apply to believers down through the ages living under various forms of government. Contrary to what many Americans may think, the Bible never mandates one type of government over another. I'll say that again. The Bible never mandates one type of government over another. As a matter of fact, John Stott identified four general ways the relationship between church and state has occurred. One, a theocracy. The church controls the state. Two, Erasianism, which is the state controls the church. Three, Constantinism, a compromise in which the state favors the church. The church makes accommodations with, these, uh, with the state in order to preserve favored status. And four, partnership. Church and state recognize that each have distinct God-given responsibilities, and they encourage and collaborate with each other in fulfilling these roles. Now my message today isn't taking a deep dive into the nuances on church and state. And these are, you can see how some of these, you can probably see examples and think of some of the examples of some of these in our current world as we know it. And these are great ways, and this is a good uh, kind of definition that John Stott has put together of ways church and states have interacted in the past. But for today, what I want us to know today is that our message today, the point that I want you to really, really get is this. We have freedom by our submission and that God is calling us to pray and engage in politics as led by the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Because the point that Paul wants you to understand, the point that I want you to understand is this: is that I want you to know that you are free. You are set free by your submission to local governments and authorities, and you are called instead to turn and be engaged and pray as ambassadors in this world. Freedom by submission. What do I mean by that? Romans 13, one says, "'Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, "'for there is no authority "'except that which God has established. "'The authorities that exist have been established by God.'" These words, guys, are liberating for Christians, not enslaving. In other words, when he calls on us to acknowledge the authority of the government and to respect the authority of government, Paul's purpose is not to make Christians submit to unjust, tyrannical dictators, but to ease their consciousness during the inevitable issues Christians face in all societies. Think of it this way. These Christians in Rome were living under Nero. Like I said before, he was the most evil ruler of all time. Paul is writing this letter while Nero is currently Caesar. Nero, who became ruler when his mob killed Claudius, the previous emperor, in his sleep, Nero, who set fire to Rome, watched it burn. Some stories say he played the harp while watching it burn and later blamed Christians for it. Nero, who persecuted thousands upon thousands of Christians and and tortured and killed them. Now, can you imagine the kind of ethical issues that Christians would have under that situation? Let's say you're a Christian living in Asia Minor or you live in Rome. And you begin to ask yourself, should I pay taxes? I mean, after all, my tax money is going to a government that is actively persecuting Christians. Surely it would be wrong for me to pay taxes, because if I pay taxes, my taxes, I don't know where my taxes are going to go. It's maybe in some part goes to persecution of my brothers and sisters in Christ, right? It pays for some of the military, and the go- does it go that way? And then you start questioning, well, then if I don't pay taxes, I'm going to be the object of, Of of jail, persecution, of aggression from the Roman government. I can't do anything. I can't live a life because I'm not paying my taxes. I won't be able to travel. I won't be able to have a business. And what Paul is saying in this passage is, my friend, don't worry yourself to death over that kind of question because there is no end to that kind of question. You can understand that all human societies, all governments, even the best of them, do things that are immoral. And if Christians must not pay taxes because any immorality done by any government, Guess what? We can't pay taxes anywhere. Now, some of you may have heard you don't have to pay taxes anywhere and got really excited. That's all you heard from my semester so far. That's not what I'm saying. Don't you call the IRS and say, My pastor said not to pay any taxes. That's not at all what I said. Well, basically what Paul is saying is that you can go to extreme in any form of government. Your mind can go on and on and on. I don't know about you guys, but my mind does this. My mind says, well, if I can't do this, if I can't support that, then I can't support this. And to be consistent, then I can't support that. And to be more consistent, I can't support this. And what about this? And my mind can come up with a million different situations and reasons why I can't pay any taxes. Why I shouldn't be involved at all. Basically what Paul is saying is that you can go to extreme under any form of government. You can argue yourself into living completely life, completely off the grid. You can go Ron Swanson style. Or you can come out swinging and fighting over every disagreement you have in the government. Paul is saying here that you don't have to paint yourself into either one of these situations or either one of these corners. No, you have liberty. You have freedom because God is in fact sovereign over this government, over this empire, over any government and empire in which you live. You don't have to figure out personally all the ins and outs of where every aspect of your tax money goes, whether or not you're, you're subjugating yourself to, or furthering the aims of something that is contrary to what you believe as a Christian. Because God is in control. And you see, Paul is saying this in order to free Christians' conscience, to free their minds from the burden. This is so important for us to remember. Paul is saying this to give us Freedom. Because we can argue ourselves into this only, pinning ourselves into this corner where you only have one or two options. Completely forsake the government, forsake living in this world, or just embrace all of it or fight against every bit of it. And these situations are trapping and Paul is saying be free because God ordained it. It's also important for us to remember that this is not the only thing that the Bible says about the believer as relationship to the government and state. This is so important because here's the problem, guys. I've seen so many Christians who read one verse or one passage of Scripture and make their whole theological stance on that one verse, one passage of Scripture. Can I tell you, we don't do that here at Waypoint Church. We believe as a Christian and a follower of Jesus, we want to take the whole counsel of Scripture. So let's look at a few other examples in the Bible then. Number one, in the book of Exodus, in the very opening verses, we encounter a command of Pharaoh to the Hebrews, Hebrew midwives, that they are to put to death the male children born of the Hebrews. Do these Hebrew midwives follow Romans chapter 13 if if they knew Romans chapter 13 because it was a different time, kind of anachronistically. If they knew Romans chapter 13, do they follow the government? Do they say, well, Pharaoh told me that he need to put to death the male children, so I guess I should show respect for the government, I should submit, so I'm going to go do that. no. The midwives defy Pharaoh's authority and they're commended for it by God. They're commended for it by Moses for defying Pharaoh's authority. In fact, one of the beautiful things that is happening here in the open chapter of Exodus is this. Pharaoh in Egypt is worshipped as God. He proclaims himself as a God. And he's willing that all the male descendants of, Hebrew, of the Hebrews are killed as he are born. The Hebrew midwives, who are nothing, they're slaves, lowest of low, of slaves, are thwarting the will of the one who's supposedly God of Egypt. It's God's way of mocking Pharaoh and saying, Oh, Pharaoh, you think you're God? Let me show you. I'm going to use slave women and the offspring of a slave woman, and I'm going to set my people free. You are not God. They're not required to give in to what the government tells them to do. Another example is with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love just saying that, by the way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I wish I had triplets. If I had triplets, they would so be named Shadrach, Meshach. Either that or Shem and Japheth. But most likely, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you guys remember, Debuchadnezzar calls everyone to worship a golden image of him. And these three are like, "Uh uh-uh, can't do it, not going to do it. But they were demanded by the government, the ruler of the time, the, king, the ruler of the king, the emperor at the time, Nebuchadnezzar just said, you must worship a golden idol on me. And they said, no, we're not going to do it. They get thrown into the fire furnace and they get saved. Do you guys remember that story? If you don't, you guys got to go back to children's ministry. It's some good stuff there. Watch the videos. It's excellent. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, by the way. So if you ever have like three hamsters or rotors, just name somebody that. But that's what they're called. They're called to worship, but they don't do it. Not long after that, you guys remember Daniel. Daniel was called to do the same thing. He's called to only pray to the emperor, pray to the king. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that too. He's not violating Romans 13 by doing that. In the in Acts chapter 4 and 5, when they commended Peter to, to not preach. Peter, you're not allowed to preach in Jesus' name. What did Peter say? He said, I must obey God rather than man. And he kept on preaching in Jesus' name. All those cases, we see godly believers defying wicked, despotic authority. So Romans 13 is not the whole story. You have to put all that the Bible says about believers' response to the government together to have a full picture. Take the whole counsel of Scripture. But what Paul is saying is, Christian, don't, don't paint yourself into this corner. We're likely going to get into a situation where, yes, we might have to respond like a Daniel and a Hebrew midwife. There's a chance in our government, in our situation, in your day, that we will have to respond and say, no, I will go against that. I will not submit to that. But it does not have to be now and doesn't have to be over every little thing because we need to not paint ourselves into this position. We need to take the whole counsel of Scripture and say we are free to even give and to pay taxes and to submit to authorities when it doesn't go contrary to what God's called us to do. And notice, by the way, that the situation in the Bible in which believers defy the unbiblical authority and the government's very direct circumstances, the Hebrew realizes this the issue of murder. Uh, you're told, go kill them. No, I won't. Or it's the issue of worship. Bow down and worship this golden idol. No, I will not bow down and worship the idol. Issue of prayer. You're going to, pray to, you're, you're, you're to pray to this, to, this king. No, I'm only praying to one true God. Issue of preaching. You can't preach in Jesus' name. No, I will preach in Jesus' name. These are all situations in which direct commands are given to believers that violate the fundamental teachings of, of scriptures, of who they are and what they're meant to do. And in these situations, we have to say very quickly, I must obey God rather than man. But Paul is saying, don't be quick to, to oppose every injustice or every little thing that you can think of that seems like an injustice everywhere in the world. Otherwise, you can never be peaceful citizens in any country in the world. And guys, remember this. We're called to be ambassadors. What that means as ambassadors is it means we're supposed to go in and we got to obey the rules of that nation. Right? Our rules of our nation will be a little different, but up to as much as we can in, in integrity, we need to go in as ambassadors, as people who are living in a nation um, because the will of our home nation, our sovereign nation, sent us there for a purpose and a mission. So we need to live as peacefully as we can in the nation that God has sent us to. Does that make sense? So my first point in the scripture should be that it is liberating for us. Submission to authorities is liberating from the endless of arguments that can drive our mind crazy. And I thank God for that. We are free as ambassadors to be submitting to the local governments that God has placed over us. But we're also supposed to pray and engage our government. Romans 13, 7 says, Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. As Christians, we know that we're to pray for these governmental authorities. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy that we're to pray for kings and all who are in authority. We know we're to do that because God has instituted government, but do you know that not only are we to pray for those who are in authority because God told us to pray for those in authority and that God has instituted it, but we also need to pray because we're driven as ambassadors to engage in neighborly love. We pray out of love, and especially in a democracy where we may vigorously disagree even over clear moral issues with other people who are in fact unbelievers or fellow citizens or positions that hold authority, we're called to pray for them. Here's, Guys, here's what happens when you pray for someone who disagrees with you. Right, this is beautiful. This is, this is what I want us to get. I would love for us to be about this. He said, we live in a democracy where we can disagree, we can share, and we can see what the majority of the people want. Right? But here's the beautiful thing. When you pray for somebody who disagrees with you, here's a problem that I've seen. Lately, some people might think that to me, pray for the destruction or the removal. No. That's not the type of prayer I'm talking about. I'll talk about praying in true second greatest commandment, neighborly love, to love your neighbor as yourself. Guys, when we pray for those who disagree, when we pray that, God, may you change their hearts. God, may they see truth the way I see it. God, will you humble me so that I can understand why they're coming from the way they're coming from. God, may you show them your love so much that they see this truth differently. God, will you work in them? There's a difference in that type of prayer than the type of prayer that says, um, God, smite them. God, get rid of them. Remove them from office, God. God, instead, will you guide them by your spirit to lead in a godly, just manner? God, will you, even though I disagree with them, God, will you give them spiritual wisdom that can only come from you? It talks about giving honor to those who have honor, respect to those who respect. God, even though they might not honestly deserve respect and others, you place them in authority over me, can I still respect and honor them? Because of you, God, not because of them. See, there's a difference, is when we pray in genuine love, we show a genuine gospel. Because what is prayer? Prayer drives our inner life. And what happens is when it drives our inner life, it drives our outward appearance. It drives for outward expression. It drives for outward emotion. said, when prayer, our prayer lives are transformed into praying with neighborly love. Guys, you know what what that does? We start engaging in neighborly love. Do you see that? And can I tell you something, my people? Man, as Christians, that is not what we've been showing, is it? Can I just be real with you and honest? Can my heart share this with you? Is I look and I see Christians or self proclaimed Christians in our society, and I, what I don't see is neighborly prayer, neighborly love. What I do see is hate and anger and judgment. May we live differently, may we engage differently, may we start by praying praying for our government, praying for our leaders, praying for those we disagree with. And then may we engage out of this neighborly love. And by engaging, here's what I want us to first into. I want us to get five things by engagement. How do we engage? One, we engage by not withdrawing. We engage by not withdrawing. We do not withdraw. The first thing I know is I want you to urge you is not withdraw, Guys, I get the temptation. I spoke with so many of you guys who are so fed up with all the political... The the back talking the the evil the the fake news and the lies and the wrong stats and the, all this kind of stuff. And all you guys are like I don't care anymore. You want to be? I, I'll be honest. That's my tendency. I just feel like I'm like I want to put my head head in the sand and say I hate all of it. I hate every party. I hate every politician. I hate it all. And I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to talk about it. I'm just done. Some of you guys were like I want to get in my cabin in the mountains and have my own self sort of sustaining farm and everything. I like people and that even tempts me too. And I get it. I understand it. You're discouraged. But man, we of all people need to not give up. We as Christians know that this is not the end all. We need to not be, all the world's going to hell in a handbasket, see you later. No, we're called to be transformers of this world. We have to be transformers of the world. We can't say, oh, peace, I'm out of here. No, we're called to be transformers, kingdom changers, kingdom adventurers in this world. And the only way to do that is by engaging in it. Engaging you with a radical love. So don't withdraw. Don't pull away. Engage. Two, don't be afraid to stand up for your principles. I understand that that this is what I'm doing, Lord. I'm standing up for my principles. No, you're standing up in anger. You're standing up with a lot of hatred in you. You're standing up for the sake of standing up. Stand up for your principles because they're right. Stand up for principles because God calls you to stand in love. But remember, when God calls you to stand for your principles, he calls you to do with the two greatest commandments writing you, to love God and to love people. So stand up for your principles. And guys, can I tell you, it's going to get harder and harder. Can I just be real? I think it should be. I think we should look different from the world. The fact that it's, if it's too easy to stand up for your principles, can I just say something? Then they're probably not the right principles sometimes. It needs to be a little hard, because if we look just like the world, then we're no different. But we're redeemed, transformed kingdom people. We're ambassadors. We, shouldn't look, we should stand out a little bit from the country we're in. Our clothing, our culture, our attire, our mannerisms should look different from the country we're in, because the country that we're from, oh, it's peace, and it's love, and it's mercy, and it's grace. Let's just be real. The world that we're visiting right now, it's not a lot of that. It needs to be different. So stand up. Don't be afraid to stand up. But three, and then three, teach your children. Teach your children. Teach your children how to, how to walk in good discussion. You know what I, what I hate hearing over and over again? I don't like it when pa- parents just say, because I said so. Right? And don't get me wrong. As a parent, oh, believe me, I'm tempted to say that all the time. I'm like, just do it because I said so. But here's the problem. When it comes to Christian belief, ethics, and principles, because I said so is not good enough. Can you take your children and show them in the Bible why you believe what you believe? Can you walk them through it? When they ask you, you know, hey, I don't understand. Why, why, why can't we do this? Or, why is that? Don't just say, because I said so. Say, well, here, God has called us as the image of him to show him and to show love. Walk Him through it. Because later on, if you just say they said so, they're going to be somebody else who said something different. Do you guys hear that? Teach them. Don't be afraid to teach your children. And let me tell you guys, when you have older children, when you have teenagers, let me tell you something. Teenagers, I've worked with youth for a long time. Teenagers are going to disagree with you just to disagree with you. You're going to one day say, oh, the sky is so beautifully blue today. And they're like, well, actually, mom, it's not blue. It's, um, you just see that because of light refracting this way. Uh, and, and those of you who've had teenagers, you guys are like, oh, I know what you're talking about. Those of you who haven't, your kids aren't teenagers yet. It's happening. It's going to happen. They're going to disagree with you just for the sake of disagreeing with you. They do that. So surround them with great role models who are going to teach them to. I, I heard when I was a youth minister back in the day, a parent could be like, Lawrence, I can tell my kid 50 times, oh, you're so good at this, you should try this, or you can do this, I give them all this advice. They don't listen to me one time, but Lawrence, you tell them once, they're like, oh, yeah, really? Okay, I'll do that. It's true. Sometimes when your kids are teenagers, they're going to listen to the other person way before you. You can say it 50 times, but that one person will say it one time. Uh huh. That's okay. That's normal but surround them with good role models. Teach your children to think for themselves. Not to just follow what the culture says, not just follow what everybody else says, but to think for themselves. Teach them why they stand on the word of God. Bring worth to them. Make their questions be valuable and answer them. Teach your children, my people, please. Four, speak into politics. Be involved. Disagree with prominent voices that you hear. Call out bad arguments and inhumane decisions. But do it all with no hatred or disrespect. Don't respond to our media and, oh, let me say this. I'm just going to throw this out there because I just have to do this. Can I tell you one of the things I hate the most right now is that I hear this. Fake news. I I saw a special called uh, The Social Dilemma. Anybody ever seen that Social Dilemma? One of the things that it says on there is so powerful. It said fake news, right, and hate-filled speech. Right? Travels faster on social media and internet, 10 times faster than the truth. That's terrible. So I can make up a fake story about how a Young punched me in the face the other day, and now it travels so much faster through the church than the truth of uh, Arthur bought me a cookie. <laughs> Do you understand? Like, it's, it's so sad, it's so crazy. But the reality is, can't I'm gonna can put the blame on this. You guys ready? Who I'm gonna put the blame on? You ready? You. Because what are you clicking on? Ooh, you see that link pop up. It says, ooh, young punch, Pastor Lawrence in the face. You're like, I'm going to click on that link. That sounds interesting. Right? Guys, the computer's algorithms are after one thing. They just want your clicks because they want money. Here's what you're doing. You're feeding into the machine by clicking on it. Stop clicking on it. Do you guys hear me? Stop clicking on it. If you stop clicking on it, people will stop clicking on it. It'll stop spreading so fast. Quit spreading it. That's a given. But stop clicking on it. Guys, can I tell you that our responsibility of speaking to politics is not just being good speakers; it's also being good consumers, being good news receivers, being being good news uh, senders. We have a responsibility in our culture. We have a responsibility not just as members of the society, but as Christians transforming this nation, transforming this world, transforming this place. We need to learn to engage. We need to remember that we know how the story ends. Our God is king. We're good. So quit giving into the fear mongering, quit giving into the, the, the pessimism that drives so much of our society. Engage. Speak truth, love well. Do you guys, hear me. I don't care what side I'm talking. I'm not talking about a side. I don't believe. I hate sides. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I'm pretty equal on this. I hate Democrats as much as Republicans, and Republicans as much as Democrats. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I don't like them all. I'm pretty equal in my hatred. I'm just kidding. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I'll tell you whose side I'm on. I'm on the Kingdom. And my king, man, he rules. So I can, I can care less. I can care less. I don't care less. Let me take that back. It doesn't matter who sits on the throne of America or any emperor or country I live in in this world. It doesn't matter. Because my king is a king of kings. And he's a lord of lords. And he's king over the universe. Can you get an amen to that? Speak into it. Engage it in five. Live life as a citizen of God's Kingdom, guys, you understand that you who you are is your citizen of another kingdom. We look for a city whose foundation and whose architect and builder is God. This world is not our home. We're not home yet. And we can engage in this world as a lover of this country, but only because we're, this is a country that we're ultimately visiting because we're ultimately citizens of another country. It's like when I visit on my honeymoon. Me and Gina went to, we went to Italy on our honeymoon, and we're like, ooh, I love Italy. This is nice. That's the way we need to love this country. Ooh, this is a nice country, but my home is so much better. Do you understand that? Your identity is first, not first and foremost as an American if you live in America. Can I say that again? That is so low on your identity. Your identity is a member of the kingdom of heaven. You're a daughter or son of God. You're a co-heir. You're a royal priesthood. God, that's so much bigger than being a citizen of America. Do you hear me? We should care what happens. We should care what happens in this country. We should care what happens in our community. We should care what happens in this culture. Because God sent us here as ambassadors. To show the reality of the other kingdom. That's why we care. We care because our king sent us here. To live life here. To be representatives of the other kingdom. To show them how good that other kingdom is. And invite this kingdom to look like that one. That's why we care. My people, engage, but engage as ambassadors. That's what's freeing to us, it's so freeing. We can submit, we can submit to the authority, just like if I went to another country, I submit to that laws. If I went to Singapore, I would not chew gum while walking on the streets. Because that's the law there. I might disagree with it, but I'm not gonna be like, oh, I am not entering this country, or I'm, I'm not I'm not paying taxes, in this country, or I'm not gonna wave battle. No, I submit. It's freeing, I submit so I can just live life, I submit. I submit to the laws of that country, I'm submitting to the laws of this governor's authority but only as an ambassador does. And if it's contrary to the will of my king, my king trumps all. Submit. And let me close with this word. While we may be frustrated with our government and with our leaders, our true leader is always in power. He is always in power. And he reigns forever supreme. Don't forget that. My people, don't forget that. As we as we live life as ambassadors, guys, I want you to understand this. An ambassador, if you guys ever, see, like, if you're an ambassador of America and you go to another country, because America is such a rich and powerful country, you're kind of treated a little more special than if you're an ambassador from like a kind of tiny no country with no army, no money. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? If you're an ambassador in America in another country, but then you're, I'm not going to make a name of a country because I don't want to diminish a country, but if you're from the country of um, Talila. I just made that up. But for the country of Tallulah that has really no army and no standing, when you're an ambassador, you're not treated the same way because the armies and the power of your, your country kind of is shown to the ambassador, right? Guys, who is your king? Who is the nation? It's the most powerful kingdom, the most everlasting kingdom, the most everlasting king. Live like the ambassador of that king. J.D. Greer shared something that Nick Ripkin wrote about in The Insanity of God. And Nick Ripken asked believers in China who are sometimes harassed by police for gathering to worship, how do they respond, what the interchange might look like. So Nick said, um, the police, Nick asked him, and the police, they would often say the police would say something like this, if you do not stop these meetings, we will confiscate your house, and we will throw you out to the street. And the believers would respond, oh, do you want my house? Well, if you do, then you need to talk to Jesus because I gave the property to him. The police usually don't know how to, what to make of that answer. They're like, what? So they'll say, listen, listen, we don't, we don't care about this Jesus. We won't have anything to do with him, but we can certainly get to you. When we take your property, you, you and your family will have nowhere to live. So the believers then respond, you must do what you must, but then we'll be free to trust God for shelter as well as for our daily bread. The police are like, listen, if you keep this up, we're going to beat you. We'll just flat out beat you. And the believers respond, well, cool. Then we'll be free to trust Jesus for our healing. The police are like, listen, we're going to put you in prison. And the believers respond, then say, then we'll be free to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus to the captives and to set them free. We'll be free to plant churches in the prison. (laughs) If you do that, then we'll kill you. The believers then say, then we'll be free to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. Do you see that our king is always in power. There's nothing that this king, this ruler, any ruler, any authority on this earth can do. Our king is sovereign. And what we have is this beautiful win-win. I shared this before, that we have a win-win in the light of suffering, in the light of life, in the light of everything. As followers of Jesus Christ, as ambassadors of the king, we have a king who is enthroned and empowered. And so we exist and live in a win-win. My church, my people, May this passage, this difficult passage about commit submitting an authority to the government, may it free you. May it make you realize that you're an ambassador from another nation sent to live in submission in this government because you were sent here on a mission. May it free you to have to worry your conscience over your mind over every little decision when it comes to what tithe, what, 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 what tax to give or what decision to make here. May it free you from that by saying, I will submit because God's ultimately in authority. May it free you, but also may it remind you to engage and to pray for our leaders and for our politics and for our culture and for our governors, government. May you engage the way an ambassador does. May you show the love of Christ to this world. And may we see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for this word and this passage of scripture that you've given us that, that shows us our freedom that comes from being able to submit. We submit to the authorities that you've placed over us because ultimately we know that we're ultimately submitting to you because all these authorities are ultimately under you and that you're the king who sent us as ambassadors. So thank you for sending us, God. Thank you for being the king everlasting. King eternal. Thank you for being our king of kings and our lord of lords. Thank you for being more powerful. Thank you for being a good, good ruler. As we contemplate what it means to walk in justice and walk in holiness and to walk in engagement of our, of our culture, God, may we contemplate you and may we see your character and may we pray and live life in light of that, God. May we love others well in light of that, God. And may we see your kingdom come on earth and will you use us? God, will you, will you make us instruments of your kingdom's advancement? God, as we come, God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.